We got to bring in our guest. He's ready to go. Yeah, Matt Petraro, the Kansas City Royals skipper, joining us right now. As you can see, Matt, we're going to have a good time here. How you doing? <laughs> How are the uh, Royals fan base feeling so far this season as you are moving now to a new organization here? We're talking about the Padres. Their fan base travels quite a bit. KC fans are so damn nice. I mean, I can at least say from my experiences there. How many of you, Matt, have your experiences been with them? Oh, it's been awesome. The city, the fans, you know, they they say as as big a town as it's been for the Chiefs when the when the Royals won, it was even bigger. So that's what we're hoping to get back to, obviously. And so far, it's been uh, nothing but like you just said, Midwest hospitality. The fans love the team. Um, just got to get them some wins. Matt, you guys are in Arizona, correct? You're in Arizona. Yeah. Are there Padres yeah. fans there that traveled? If Jonesy thinks they don't travel, they just show up for the game. Sleeping in their cars. Yeah, that's right. Uh, hey, we were trying to we were trying to decide how many of the forty five thousand in Anaheim were there for us or for Otani, one or the other. We weren't sure. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's, that's true. How how did Shohei uh, treat you guys? Because the thing that stood out to me is him showing off his wheels, which I try and tell maybe a more casual baseball fan sometimes. I go, oh, wait, and in addition to the million unicorn traits that he has, he also beats out ground balls as good as anybody in the game. Yeah, we've seen that. You know, we saw it this week. We saw the homer. We saw him pitch seven shutout innings. So we, we're, we've seen enough of him. Um, <laughs> but in the past, yeah, I mean, when I was with Tampa, we saw him hit for the cycle and bun on us and do all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, you guys know he's he's a generational guy. I mean, you don't see that very often. Matt, talk to us about the Royals just in general. I know it's been kind of a tough start. It happens. It's early in the year, so we're not even to May yet. What, what are the positives that you've seen out of the team, and what do you guys need to work on? Yeah, you're right. It is early, and the positives have been – there have been a lot of them. You know, the, the pitchers, they're throwing more strikes. That's been a huge part of our – you know, point of emphasis for us. They've been throwing a ton of strikes. Um, as far as the hitters go, you know, it's, you know, when guys struggle at the same time, it gets magnified. Um, but what we've seen is that their preparation, the way they stay into the game, the way they're into every pitch is something that's really admirable. Um, some of these games we've been in till late in the game and they've gotten separated and, you know, they, they still battle to the end. You know, we got a nice W the other night against the Angels' uh, Angels closer, Quijada, who's a tough, tough guy to face. So more than anything, the positives have been the attitude, coming to win every day, coming to play hard every day. Um, and and they're, they've been good teammates. They've been picking each other up. And it's one of the things that I think is really important as you're continuing to build. Um, Matt, as a, as a young team, you know, how has – Perez for the offense and Grinky, the quietest person in the world, been for the been for the respective the pitchers and the and the hitters. And when you have a really young team on both sides with the arms and your and your uh, defenders, yeah, you know, I'll start with Zach. And and the thing I I didn't know Zach at all <clears throat> prior to this year. Um, you know, obviously seen him on the other side of the field, but the the thing that's impressive about him is he's got twenty years in, and he takes every day like he's a rookie. You know, he's trying to get every pitch he has better every day. He's still putting the work in as far as the conditioning, as far as the uh, scouting the opposition, figuring out how he's going to pitch to him. And right from day one of spring training, when he'd throw a bullpen and guys would just gather around to watch it, you know, so they're, they're learning from his example. 
he loves to talk through the game. He loves to ask me about in-game decisions. He loves to talk about, uh, you know, pitching techniques with guys, you know, on the staff. And so they they eat that up. Salvi, as you guys know, you guys have played against him, and he he's always a positive influence. The guy works his butt off, wants to improve. Day one of spring training, he went to our catching coach Paul Hoover said, "I want to I want to make changes." I know my numbers haven't been good in the past. I want to get better. I want to. I want to catch up. I want to be back to the top of the game. Um, and obviously, he's always smiling. You can't get the guy down. I mean, he gets he gets pissed when you lose or he has a bad at bat or whatever. But the next day, next at bat, you know, he's right back at it. You're fresh. You're fresh off the process. What does the What does the managerial process look like for the interviews for you? Because I'm assuming you went through a couple more. I remember you were kind of, <laughs> kind of in in the mix a few years. And what does that what does it look like? Not maybe not necessarily just the Royals, if you can't say with the Royals, but like with teams, because you're just fresh off that process. Yeah, it's it's a big process. It's um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I did. I went through several of them, um, so I got you know got used to the process kind of and. More than anything, it's just a they're long days. You know, it's a lot of talking. It's um, you know, you, you basically meet with all the different departments in an organization that you can think of. You know, obviously the front office, um, scouting, player development, strength and conditioning, sports science. You know, in some form or fashion, everyone does basically the same kind of thing. You jump from one room to another, or or they come into a room where you are, and you you just talk about philosophy, you talk about communication, you talk about players, you talk about um, you know how you how you want to build a staff, how you want what you think your pitching staff, what your philosophy on hitting is, like all those kinds of things. And um, you know, at the end of the day, those those sessions take anywhere from you know six to eight hours, and some of them are one day some of them are two days and then you know you come back for a second round and kind of do it again you meet with ownership and and uh team presidents and so it's it's basically getting to know everybody in the organization and they get to know you matt when you go into these interviews and now that you have the kansas city job since you were at the rays and the rays are the model i want to say small market team do teams pick your brain and say what do the rays do differently than what and then when the royals hire you do they say hey what can you bring over from the Rays to help the Royals become what the Rays are? Paul Hoover. Yeah, I think I think there's some of that. <laughs> What's that? Uh, he said, said Paul Hoover. They, they said I, I I jumped in there. I said, "What can you bring over?" And you brought Paul Hoover over. <laughs> That's the that only was thing my you big, bring from the Rays. That was my <laughs> big off-season acquisition, man. Sorry, go ahead. I shouldn't <laughs> interrupt the. No, no, I, you know some of that, you know, and I think different processes, you know depending on who you are and how serious a candidate you are. I mean, I think that's one thing that um, Eric Neander always did a great job for me. Um, when I would go, he, he would always make sure that it wasn't an interview, like a token interview to just try to, to do something like that and just get information on the raise. Now, in fairness, I could go to interview with any team and a lot of the stuff that happens behind the scenes, the, the, the formulas, the algorithms, all that kind of stuff, that stuff's way, way above me, you know, and, um, you know, really more than anything. And I, I've been really fortunate with the Rays and with Cleveland. The thing that the thing that you bring with you is the people, you know, the, the, the way you treat people, the way ownership works, the way the dynamic of the front office and the coaching staff works, the way the 
camaraderie in the clubhouse, you know, and then obviously compiling talented depth through your system and trying to build for the long term. And, and that's that's the kind of stuff that, you know, even here, I mean, it's the kind of thing that JJ and the front office already had in mind. And maybe we just aligned on that philosophy. Matt, I have a question from a fan here. Garrett says, how many rounds were your interviews? How different was the interview process for each coaching staff position? How many? Well, each team that I interviewed with was slightly different. So, I mean, I'd say generally two to three rounds per team, you know, um, and each coaching position is different, you know, like, so we, when we, when we hired, uh, we went in, hired three different pitching guys, pitching coach, bullpen coach, and assistant pitching coach. Uh, the pitching coach and assistant were fairly similar processes. Um, uh, two rounds, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, and they, you know, they they answered philosophical questions, but also, you know, actual pitching questions, breaking down deliveries, breaking down guys on video. Um, and, you know, a lot of this is you do a ton of background on guys, um, as it was probably done on me and everybody else that was involved in these processes, you know. It's really, do you think you can work with the people? Because sitting in front of an interview, sitting in a boardroom, as you guys know, that played like that, that's not coaching. You know, it's a, you, you can talk a game or you can actually go and, and communicate with players that are actually the ones out there putting it on the line every day. Yeah, I want to talk about communication and the fact that Tito, you were a coach, you were one of the coaches for Tito, then you were the bench coach for Cash. Some people want to know what you learned from them. That's kind of the PC answer. I want to know how much you were involved in the practical joking. <laughs> and did you, if they, if they did a uh, little forensics testing, was your fingerprints on the motorcycle that got stolen <laughs> from Tito? Cashy doesn't need any help with that stuff, man. You guys know him. You guys have been around him. Um, what, what, <laughs> What I learned from those guys, I cannot do the same thing they do. I mean, that you know, they they keep that clubhouse about as light as it can possibly be because of their big personalities and and they they never take a day off from the practical joking, man. I mean, we we have to we have to do it slightly differently. Um, but those guys, that that is what it is to me. The 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 magic that happens with those guys is that they keep it light regardless and. They have they have the ability to connect with players. Um, players respect them for you know obviously different reasons. But um, and the thing, the other thing that we talked about a minute ago is that those neither of those guys are micromanagers. You know, you you hire good people to coach the players. The people that are the the content that they have is um, the knowledge of the content they have is off the charts. And they don't micromanage. They let them do their jobs. They know they're going to be prepared, and that that breeds a lot of uh, a lot of content. Matt, was one of your things you learned from Kevin Cash and Tito when Vinny Pasquatino gets on base? Was that one of your personal practical jokes where you said we're going to take a Sasquatch <laughs> and have him walk in the outfield as a practical joke on Vinny, or that come from the Royals PR? Because it's kind of awesome if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, I, they had to point it out to me because you know you're not looking up over the left field fence when somebody gets on base, but uh, that is pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's a pretty unique nickname and he does kind of walk like that guy. So that is pretty cool. <laughs> wait, wait. So now we got to know, is he hairy like a Sasquatch? Is there, is that, I don't where, think, where that I, you know from? what? 
It's early in the name, early in the year. I don't think he is, but I'll check for you. And I'll like, I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, let us me. know. Perfect. Hey, uh, Matt, I've got a tie-in from your old ball club to this one. There's a player that you coach who should sign for massive money and just be there for life. You had Wander Franco, who got a massive extension from a team that doesn't usually spend a ton. There's a guy named Bobby Witt that you're managing every day. So where are the similarities and when does he sign for life? Yeah, good question. Um, he, boy, the similarities are, are there in that they, they can change the game in a lot of ways, man. They, they, you know, obviously Wander's a switch hitter, but Bobby elite speed um, for, for his body type already showing big power um, uses the whole field plays a premium position. He's only going to get better at it. He just needs game reps at this level. Um, but as far as the contract, that's that's way, way above my uh, my decision-making. But I know it's something they've discussed, and you know I think that uh, obviously any team would want to lock up Bobby long-term. Yeah, so breaking news here, they're going to want to lock up Bobby. Thank you for that. <laughs> really appreciate that. We're always – we're always about locking people up. But one of the things we talked about on this show when we had Phil Nevin on, okay, we said, could Phil Nevin beat Gabe Kapler in a fight? I just need a yes or no. <laughs> Who's going to win in a fight? So we'd have to set, like, what kind of fight? You know, where are they? What time of night is it? You know, who's, you know, all that kind of stuff, man. You got to qualify that a little bit. Okay, okay. Well, then I really didn't care who you thought. Could you beat Gabe Kapler in a fight? No. No? No. That's fine. I knew you were going to say that because you're a humble guy. I've seen you in the weight room. You're more of a treadmill guy than a bicep curl guy. <laughs> but what I need from you, Q, what manager could you beat in a fight? Of the, th of the other 29. Tito. Tito? <laughs> Tito might have another heart attack, though, if he gets out there and fights I wouldn't you. Want to, I wouldn't want to fight him, but I think I would I would take my chances. Okay. That's a liar, because he's going to come on later. Wait, why does everybody want to fight Gabe? Eric, why does everybody want to fight I, Gabe? I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. Kratzy seems Bill? to be infatuated with it. I, I'm, on it. I'm buying a ticket to it. I'm buying a ticket I, to I, it. Yeah, why, why is this all about fighting? I thought this was a fun show. Yeah. <laughs> There's fighting with fun, too. Yeah, there's drama. There's a little bit of drama. On, on that topic, actually, have you spoken to your pitchers about sticky stuff since Scherzer's incident and even Herman as well? I mean, you've got a lot of young pitchers. They probably have questions, too, like, am I just going to be randomly targeted as well? You know, completely coincidentally, the day that day that Scherzer got caught or whatever the right terminology is, we, we had met with the pitchers earlier that day. Um, just to make sure they understood the ramifications and exactly what the rules were. Um, so, yes, we have had that meeting. How did it go? Did they feel, like, Great. reassured afterward? You know, like, what What do you talk to them about? Because I know we've had probably five, six pitchers on since it happened, and we actually had Scherzer on two days before, and he said, this is going to be a problem because he said, rosin sticky. And it was crazy that two days later, all of that happens. And we've had pitchers on since then. And they're like, okay, you're asking him to use alcohol in front of an official. He does. It makes it stickier than it's his fault. So it was just a weird situation. And you don't, no one wants their pitcher to get caught in that spot and lose him for two starts. Oh, absolutely. I think that was our biggest thing, making sure they understood that 
even if it is just rosin, it can get to a point where it's not deemed legal. And the other part is we wanted them to understand from a team standpoint that if they get busted, then, you know, you don't any suspension, you don't get to fill that roster spot. So you're playing a man down for those 10 days. So that was our biggest those were our biggest points to make sure they understood that. Matt, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, you've you've been a, you've been a baseball lifer, so standing on the standing on the line, national anthem. You're the manager, not the bench coach, not just not one of the normal coaches that run out there. You're called first before everybody. The manager's called first. What's the emotions like when you're sitting there? Like I'm the, this is my team. It's you, the leadoff hitter. You're not way down there next to guy. You know you're not next to the bullpen catcher. You're, or the trainer, you're next to the leadoff hitter, next to the other manager in the center of the diamond. How's that of emotions as, as the manager? Yeah, it was humbling, to be honest. You know, it's um, it's one of those things. You don't really know how you're going to feel till you get out there. You know, like you said, like my first year in the big leagues um, as a coach was that was really emotional. Um, you know, I had just lost my dad right before that. So he didn't get to be there for for opening day my first year. Um, so obviously every, every opening day I stand out there, I think about him, um, every day, quite honestly, but, um, you know, to have family in the stands and, and be out there and, you know, managing against Rocco that day was kind of cool too. We were former teammates and, and worked together in Tampa. So there, there were a lot of really cool things that I definitely did not take for granted. Um, but more than anything, it was, it was humbling. How was the first week, week and a half of the season for you? You, you land a, a dream job as a manager in the bigs, and then you have to sit out. I don't know what the exact dates were. I was trying to look it up with a positive COVID test. And I remember hearing one of your interviews, and I think you were feeling okay. So it has to be massively frustrated because it's not really much of a story. You don't hear about it much anymore. There hasn't been a player that has had to sit out with it, I think, in a while now. So that must have been an absolute blast for you, getting your dream job and then being forced to sit. <laughs> I know five days. Yeah. Fortunately it was just five days now instead of, you know, when it was 10 or 14 and all that kind of stuff. And I, I obviously was very lucky that I didn't have uh, symptoms or very mild symptoms. So that, that made it even more frustrating, you know, because really it was, it was right after that opening weekend where we had a ton of people in town and when they all left and started getting back to where they were going, they were calling saying, Hey, you know, we tested positive. We don't feel well, whatever. And then we're about to get on a flight to San Francisco. And I just didn't want to be the guy that made, you know, have the whole team get it. So we tested, my wife and I tested and we both had it. Fortunately, our kids didn't get it. So um, that was, that was nice, but yeah, well, it was just bizarre. You know, I mean, you want to get in the rhythm, you want to be there with your guys, you know, obviously I'm not, I don't have a lot of reps under my belt yet. So every game that you miss was even more frustrating, but you know, the guys did a great job. We were in communication all day before the games, after the games, and just sitting there watching as a fan. The, the one thing I learned is, you know, with the delay on TV, I couldn't keep my phone near me because the, the MLB app updated before it would happen on TV. And I didn't want to, <laughs> that, that was kind of an interesting thing. That, that was frustrating too, where people send you a text when something happens and you hadn't even seen it happen yet. So I learned a little bit that way too. <laughs> that sucks. That sucks. Yeah, I can't even imagine what you went through sitting there grinding. You're, you're rooting for your boys, and you're looking on your phone and watching on TV. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not how you want to draw up your first week as a big league manager. No, it definitely wasn't, but I'm glad to be back. Well, welcome back. Well, you're well into it now. 
Brady Singer, guy was great the second half of last year, went to the WBC, has not gotten off to a great start. Do you think the WBC affected his preparation, and what will it take for him to get back to work? Because second half, he was one of the best pitchers in the American League. So what will it take for him to get back to that point? And again, do you think the WBC had anything to do with this? I think from a starting pitcher standpoint, it definitely had something to do with it because, you know, I think he he may have pitched two innings, something like that, you know. So he pitched two innings before he left. Then when he left, you know, and you understand why. I, I completely understand why he didn't pitch. His first outing wasn't great. Um, and, the, you know, that's a win-at-all-cost uh, environment there. So they're going to go with who they think gives them the best chance on that night. I mean, it's completely understandable. And to Brady's credit, he did everything he could. You know, he he threw his bullpens and I think maybe even had some guys stand in on him. But it's not the same as getting your normal buildup of, you know, how to, you go two to three to four to five, you know. So he came back. He had uh, maybe two outings in spring training when he came back, got to four innings, you know. But that gradual buildup just wasn't there. Um, now, in fairness, his first start of the year against the Blue Jays, he came out 94, 96, really pounded the zone, had a great outing against Toronto, um, and then has kind of settled into what we expect as far as how the stuff looks. Um, he faced a really, really good Braves team in his second start. Um, those guys can really swing it. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm not worried about where he is at all. I think he's going he's gonna to bounce into what we think, you know, expect of him. He's a competitor above everything else. This guy's extremely competitive, and I know he's going to keep pushing to get better. Did you call? Did you call Mark DeRosa and say, "Put my damn guy in the game. He needs innings. Let's go. <laughs> Put my guy in the game. I need him to get ready for for starts." I can't imagine the the communication that him and and Pettit and those guys had. I mean, they're talking to every pitching coach and every you know every coach and every team to through that thing. I mean that that must have been some kind of process. But I mean, I know we wanted our pitching coach, Brian Sweeney, he was talking to Andy Pettit, you know, and I know they, they communicated, they knew what might've happened or what the plan could have been, but you know, they just had other options and they, they went with them and again, totally understandable. How many days, how many days off are you going to give Salvi in one month? Are you going to give him two days off? Or are you going to try to work him in five days off? Cause I've been seeing his playing time is, a little bit different than what, you know, maybe he's used to. And is that a conversation that you've had with him? Absolutely different. Um, but yes, the, he's involved in every, every aspect of the decision-making with his career. Um, how many days, you know, it depends on the schedule. Um, but, you know, we've faced, we've had a good run of lefties we've faced too. So when he hasn't caught, he's DH'd. Um, when he hasn't, he's only not played in one game. So it's not like, <laughs> that much different from when you were here, you know, playing <laughs> as his backup. It's, um, but the difference is MJ is backing him up and he plays right field every day when he's not catching. So it's a little bit different scenario. Um, but yeah, Salvi's involved in that conversation every, as we plan out the week or the road trip or whatever it is. Hey, Jay and Kratz are jealous of Melendez anyway. They wanted to be a right fielder <laughs> and a catcher. That mm, sounds like an absolute no. blast. Hell no. I just <laughs> wanted to play. Matt, Put me somewhere. Were, Matt, you're True. a catcher. How boring would right field be? That would be the worst. <laughs> the outfield would be the worst hey. job in the world, dude. You're standing out when there. People... You might not get one ball hit to you. I'd be like, this sucks. <laughs> Someone send me a beer down here. Let's go. I was a bullpen catcher. I was not a catcher. <laughs> <laughs> me too, hey, so Q. Cr- That's, That's why we hit it off. Me too, Q. I was a bullpen catcher. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love that. 
Hey, Matt, this was awesome. Really appreciate you joining us, giving us some insight, and good luck on the trip. Thanks, guys. This was fun. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. Welcome back anytime. Matt Contraro, the manager of the Kansas City Royals. There he is. There's that ugly yeah, there mug. There's that Evan's ugly here. mug I missed. What's up, Evan? <laughs> I'm right here. I've just I've been sitting here and much to my chagrin, nodding in agreement with AJ for about five minutes here. Yes. <laughs> much to your chagrin. Yeah. Much Man, to my hold chagrin. Hold on. I also... I'm gonna leave you for a second. I'm gonna be right back. I gotta go get some. Uh-uh. I got props. Hold on. I'll be right yeah, back. AJ's been very excited to have you on, yes, Evan. He's right been back. looking forward to it. He has like a thank you that he wants to give you for something. But all right, let me kick things off. Great to have you on. And Thanks, let's man. start on this Texas team and the vibe there right now. And you've watched a lot of Rangers baseball over the last several years, and it has not looked good. Does it look like they are legitimately turning a corner into a playoff contender in your mind? I, I think they've done all the things that they need to do to get off to the kind of start that would propel them wow. into, into the race here. You know, they have pitched well, which is what they needed to do out of the gate. Their guys have stayed healthy out of the gate. Um, and I think at least for a week here, you know, they've withstood the loss of, of Corey Seager. So that's going to be something they're going to have to deal with for a while longer. But I think all the things that they've needed to do have kind of fallen into place, and it is a good vibe. And this team needed some momentum. They're a good team. I saw them uh, April 1st. They yeah. played Kansas Snow. Who did they play that day? I don't know. They beat. I think they played they the played, They played Philadelphia. And I, oh, I Philadelphia. Yeah. They beat them 16-3. to I think it was. Yes. And they, they looked really good. Uh, they're they're better. I'll admit they're better than what I thought they were going to be with DeGrom, with Evaldi, with Martin Perez, who was there when I was there. But the offense looks really good. They look dynamic, and they look like Odolis Garcia's turned himself into a heck of a player. So what, what's the thing? What's the step? The bullpen probably is the biggest missing piece right now for them. Who's the closer? Is it LeClerc? Is it somebody else? What's the, the next thing? Will Smith? Who, who is that? I, I think you nailed that, AJ. I think that's the biggest question, and I've asked Bochi that on, on a couple of occasions here. Like, if he's still kind of got roles for the relievers or if it's a little bit undetermined. And I think right now, you know, you guys know this. Boach is he's a great manager of bullpens, and I, I think he's using everything he's got in his toolbox right now with a, with a bunch of relievers who don't have a whole lot of ego to kind of mix and match when he needs to. I think LeClerc is going to get the majority – of the closing opportunities right now, but certainly Will Smith is getting them and, and he's kind of managing it a lot like he did with the Giants in, in this regard, right? He had leverage guys for those late innings, but he had one batter guys. He had a lot of left-handed specials. He had Sergio Romo. He had those kinds of guys. I think now he's looking at those, those situations and saying, let me use my leverage guy in the eighth inning. And I've got to use him for two or three batters, obviously, but, I'm going to pick the leverage that I need to use, and then I'll figure out the ninth inning when I need to. That's the way of baseball now, though, isn't it? Is it not the way that it goes? You, you turn on TV and they say, hey, if you got to use your closer in the eighth inning to get through three, four, five, then you do it. So has Bochy kind of evolved to the times because he had to? He took the years off, and again, he's a Hall of Fame guy. He just evolved to what the game is now? I think he's evolved to to what the game is now in some regards, but I also think he knows the personnel in his bullpen. I think he's going to let this sort itself out a little bit too. Um, and uh, I, this guy, this guy knows his personnel really well. That's the thing that stands out for me. And just in, in six weeks being around him, is 
he's gotten to know these guys well and knows what makes them knows what makes them tick. And I've always known Jose Leclerc to be a guy that was like, listen, just give me the ball. I don't care what the situation is. I want to help this team win. And so if you're going to take a guy out of the ninth inning occasionally, he's the right guy that you can do that with. Evan, what was the bigger story this this weekend? Adolis Garcia, three homers, eight RBIs, or those very mid City Connect uniforms that you wrote a huge article about how much you loved them. And you might, I don't know, but tell me. I, I like them better than the Padres, AJ. <laughs> you, yeah, that's because you, yeah, you don't like the bright colors. You don't like the pink and the yellow and the green. I get it. Here, I mean, here's the thing on the Ranger City Connects. Look, it's an impossible task to try and connect to the city of Arlington, right? And you can't piss off people in Dallas. You can't piss off people in Fort Worth. And if you put either one of those on, on the uniform, you're going to create you're going to create issues. We all remember what happened, or we do in Dallas-Fort Worth, when the, the last time the Rangers went to the playoffs in 2016, they put the skyline of Dallas on the, on the playoff T-shirt, and everybody in Tarrant County got pissed off. So I think they had a real challenge. I think if you sit down and you look at the uniforms and listen to the story, I think it all makes a lot of sense based on the challenge that they had. I don't know if it's enough to like get an 18 to 25 year old to like just be fired up about the uniform. It's it's a little bit understated. I like understated more than than going with a heavy hand, but I think there's some things about it also that you know don't quite go with the modernization of the logo or anything like that. So you're saying black pants are understated and you're also saying that a Peagle, <laughs> did you invent the Peagle? Did you, they the come P- to you and say, Evan Grant, we need a Peagle, make one. I, you know, I wanted to write on Friday night when they were blowing a four nothing lead. I wanted to write, they Peagled right down their leg. Um, but <laughs> that would have been good. I didn't think I could get away with that one. Um, listen, I think the Peagle is, is cute. I think it's got a terrible name. Um, I, I it looks like a Griffin, and I think for for the Rangers fans' perspective, the idea of, of um, merging the Fort Worth Panthers and the Fort Worth Cats with the Dallas Eagles was was a nice touch. But uh, the mayor of Fort of Arlington, who brought the club to to the team to Texas, was Tom Vandergriff, and so there's been some movement to call it the Vandergriffin. We'll see if that gets any footing. I don't know how many students of history are really all that fired up about getting into the logo business. All right, so the other part of that question from a minute ago was Adolis Garcia, who might have had the game of the year so far in the first few weeks of the season. I also just love the way that he doesn't just bat flip. I don't even know what you'd call it. Kind of like a, a pose stroll, leave the bat in a certain way. It's like a bat toss. It's a bat wave. Well, Evan just talked about uh, the Vander Griff. Like, it's like a hippogriff from – He's using waving his wand. Yes. To the pitchers, right? <laughs> yes. And when you have a three homer, eight RBI, absolute smashing, do whatever the hell you want. You are the man of the day. So you've seen this in bursts from him in the past. Can he do this more consistently to be a more upper echelon player in the bigs? Because we all know he goes on runs. He's just not consistent. Well, I, I mean, I think he took some steps forward last year. You know, if you go across the board, all the numbers were up. Batting average, OBP, slug, all those numbers were up. And so was his his strikeout rate went down and his walk rate went up a little bit. It was still well below average, but they, they both went up. And I think he has come to camp. I think one of the reasons he didn't play for Cuba in the WBC was he had some goals that he really wanted to um, attack on his own uh, working out in Tampa. And, and so what I've seen is a guy who's come to camp with – a much better command of the strike zone. 
Uh, and I think he has, he, he's exhibited that early in the season. I think in some cases it's led to a little bit of passivity at the plate. And that's a real fine line that you kind of have to navigate, right, between being a little bit too aggressive and being a little bit too passive. So uh, right now he's locked in. Uh, the Rangers need it with Corey Seager out. Can he keep it up for the whole year? I, I don't know. But what's most encouraging to me, if you're a Ranger fan, is that this is a guy who, after he kind of burst onto the scene in 21, he made improvements in 22. So I think the possibility that Adolis can continue to make steps is 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 there. I think that that exists. Evan, are you in Cincinnati at the stadium right now? I am. I'm bugging the hell out of all the Cincinnati reporters because I'm doing oh. this from the press box. Yeah, I was wondering who's behind you. Can you tell them to shut up, please? <laughs> <laughs> no, the move is when you're on the road, because they used to do this, there's always an empty, especially if it's like early oh, in the day. Especially now, there's nobody there. Evan, you got an empty booth. You go to that like ox booth that smells, that has the possum in it, and you just sit there and you do the interview. I Listen, the last time I was in Cincinnati was an entirely different world. It was pre-pandemic, and so the press box now is in a different location. Uh, it's so small. I don't know if they have an ox box here. I'm just happy to be <laughs> actually connected to the internet and talking to you guys. And I know AJ. <laughs> I know AJ wants to bring out the good guy award. I saw him bring out the yep. trophy. Yeah. yeah, look, look at it. I know. Look, everyone who ever said I never did anything cool. Look, Evan, you had to vote for this for me. So that's two votes now I owe you because you also, I believe, voted for me for the Hall of Fame. So thank you. I appreciate it. I don't know about the Hall of Fame thing. Oh, AJ. so I thought it was you. Oh no! It was the other uh, was the other Rangers writer? Was it? it was Tr. Tr. Yeah. Never mind, Evan. You're a bad person. Never mind. Just kidding. <laughs> I take it all back. He was uh, talking you up. <laughs> the other old fogey who used to cover the Rangers. Yeah, but that's we, right. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I, then I apologize. All the good things I said about you, Evan, I changed my mind. But he did give me the good. But guy. he did get me this. So I, look at this big old. It's not something. attached to the bottom. Oh well, we can't get picky. Yeah, <laughs> we just knew AJ was. We just knew AJ was prepping for his career as a TV guy because he was always mm -hmm. there at his locker and always had something to say. That's well, right. that's what the number one job. I tell young kids, just be there and say something. Say something. Say something. Yep. At least then you can control the narrative a little bit. There are a lot of players that say nothing. Yeah, that's the problem. So, Evan, I, I do have some serious questions about Cincinnati for you because you go on the road and you do all these food things. What's your spot? In Cincinnati, and don't say Skyline Chili because everyone knows Skyline Chili is not the place. So, what's your spot in Cincinnati? So, I've been coming here. Well, I mean, the first year, first time I came here was '94 when I was covering the Marlins, and it, you know, I always tried to make a trip to the Montgomery Inn for their ribs. I always thought their ribs are really, really good. Um, of course, I went there this afternoon without checking um, Google reviews instead. And uh, they were closed. So um, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't have lunch at Montgomery Inn today, which I found out only after the Uber driver had dropped me off in front. Um, but that's always been my place. And there just haven't been a whole lot of lunches to grab here over the past 15 years because we just haven't been here very often. Um, so I'm looking. I'm going to try and go somewhere over the Rhine tomorrow. I know we went uh, the last time we were here, we went to a place called uh, Taft's Brewery or Taft's Brewhouse. And I'm going to check with the. Uh, my boy Trent Rosencrantz from The Athletic to find out what he's got for a recommendation for me here. Where were you guys? You guys were home before this. So what's your spot in Texas? Have you been to Tory Hunter's Barbecue Place yet? Yeah, Tory Hunter's Barbecue is legit. Tender's really, really good. Um, it's just, it's a little bit far out for, for those of us who live in Dallas because it's up in Frisco. But he's fed the Frisco team a bunch of times. He does a great job. We did, uh, right before the pandemic, we had done kind of a YouTube show like this that was that was taped. We did a sit-down with Elvis Andrus in, uh, at Tender, and he, Tory was just, he, he was just fantastic. So I highly recommend it. 
the um, the barbecue spot in Arlington is Hurtado Barbecue, which is uh, just down the street from the ballpark. And they actually are in the ballpark this year. They've got a it's a forty four dollar beef rib. It's about a pound and a half worth of meat. It is the best concession uh, that has come into into Texas since I've been there. So that's the other spot. I, you can't go wrong with barbecue anywhere in the Dallas Fort Worth area. There's so many good places. And I'll just give you one since it's a catch. It, it, it's basically the catcher's namesake. I know you love catchers. Um, Heim Barbecue has the best bacon burnt ends that you will ever have. It's the single best piece of barbecue I have put in my mouth. Really? That's yes. in the ballpark? No, it is not in the ballpark. Oh. There are locations in Dallas and in Fort Worth, but it is it is legit. And since Jonah Heim is the Rangers catcher, um, we'll give him some love. He doesn't own Heim Barbecue, but they've got the same name. Nice. Have you had the Boomstick yet? The I've new tried boomstick. the Boomstick. I, the Boomstick Burger is gross. Oh! Say it's what? Gross. No. It's, it's gross. Yeah. I mean, it was I mean, good. What about the I, corn I, ribs? I love the corn ribs too. They had the there. corn ribs were good. The corn ribs were good. I mean, I, you know, it's it's corn. It's a lotes. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's just shaped like it's it's cut off like a little rib. It was it was good food, good eating. You know, you can give it to your kids and be happy, and it's portable. So I like that. But I I guess they did bring you the boomstick burger when you guys did the game. Well, I paid for it because you know you wouldn't pay for it, so I had to. But it's okay. Well, you you didn't come up to the press box and say hello. So I mean. <laughs> You, you know we're that, a, that short or the pound and a half. What was that? The beef? I had the boomstick burger. No, the pound and a half. Oh no, I didn't see the the, the Flintstone rib. I would have loved to gnaw yeah, on that it, thing. If you if you come back to town, AJ, we'll make sure and, and and get you one because it is it is legit. It's really really good. It and you know it's it's a lot of food, but if you if you're bringing multiple people, it, it comes right off the bone with a fork, and you can you can share it. So I have two things. One, this is always a miss from teams when there's a national game in town like aj comes in town fox crew the big wigs they should always bring food to the press box because 90 percent of the time they will either eat it on air or bring it up which is like a free freaking commercial yes please bring it where am i miami this weekend why, why don't whatever y'all do got that? miami bring it on you got any recommendations in miami evan to eat like outside uh, i had a miami? oh yeah Last year when we were there, I had a really mediocre Cuban sandwich in the ballpark. So I would not recommend mm. that. Mm. Okay. Miami has work to do. Okay, so last question for me on the Rangers, Evan. This team shocks the world and makes the playoffs this year if what? I think it's a simple answer, Scott. If Jacob deGrom stays healthy. you know. But you I think mean, this team makes the playoffs if Jacob deGrom gives them 32 starts? I don't think he needs to give him 32 starts. I think if he makes between 25 and 28 starts and that rotation falls in line behind him, this is this 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 team is going to be playing meaningful games in September. And yeah, I I when we did our predictions in print, I gave them 85 wins in the last wild card spot in the American League. Wow. What about Evaldi? I mean, listen, that that's the thing, right? I mean, you've got when Jacobs there at the top of the rotation, how good does the rotation look when Nathan Ubaldi's pitching two and when Andrew Heaney is pitching five? It, it, it's a deep starting five. They've got to stay healthy. And there's, you know, those are the risks that Chris Young took in, in signing all these guys. But there is real talent there. And what they bet on with these guys is that these guys have the ability to strike guys out and not beat themselves with walks. And that's what we have seen. If it holds up, this is, this is a good baseball team. 
I thought he was going to say, like, Jack Leiter comes up mid-season. <laughs> Kumar Rocker. And he steals the show, or Rocker. Yeah, one of those guys. Because they, their farm system's good. You know, there's a lot of pitching coming. Oh, there is. But, I, I mean, I just think that the, the talent at the big league level right now is such that they can compete. And I think, you know, if you're talking about a, a minor leaguer that's going to come up and make some kind of difference before this year is over, we're talking about Evan Carter, who doesn't turn 21 until August 29th. And he might be here by his 21st birthday. He has just been outstanding at double A, owned the Texas League. His, his strike zone command is, is ridiculous, plays good defense in the outfield. Um, and, and look, I mean, right now, if you're looking around the diamond at position players on this team, the two questions you would have would be, can you keep this up in center field uh, with Leody Tavares and whoever you're rotating in and out of left field? All right, we'll see. Vegas, before we let you go, I saw you, I follow you on Twitter, and you had a big talk about when they played the Astros. Yeah. They beat the Astros for the first time in forever in a series. That was, that was their statement series early in the year, correct? 100%. I mean, that's, you know, I've, I, and I've heard from Twitter followers who have said, oh, well, they've beaten Kansas City and Oakland five out of six games. Well, but they've also beaten the, the Astros and the Phillies five out of six games. So they've done what they needed to do. And going to Houston and winning a series down there after not winning a series in Houston since 2018, I think was a significant early season statement for this club to say, we can play with you guys. We, we can stand on the field and go toe-to-toe with you guys. Uh, and, and look, I mean, the Rangers outpitched the Astros in that series. It's that simple. Right. Didn't you go to Kansas City, too, and say Q39? Q39 and Charbar. Those were my two spots, yeah. Q39 is – you been there? It's awesome in Kansas City. Barbecue. I think I have, yeah. Outstanding. And then Lydia's – Lydia's down in down by – I don't know what the area is called, but Kansas City, I, those I, are the spots. I, so, I, Evan, we agree on something. Q39 yeah. is a spot. I haven't been to KC as much lately, but uh, when they were good, we used to go there a lot. And, yes, I believe I've been there. Evan, awesome having you on. Um, enjoy the uh, week of games. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. It's great to, have, great to be with you, and um, hopefully someday I'll come on and disagree with AJ on something. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually not difficult to do, so it'll probably be next time when we call you. Appreciate you, and enjoy Cincy. Uh, Evan Grant from the thank you Evan Evan Grant from the Dallas Morning News joining us you can follow him on Twitter at Evan underscore P underscore Grant hey BetMGM is running an MLB bet $10 get $100 instantly promo when you use the bonus code SPICYMLB and you can get this offer in four easy steps sign up and deposit at least $10 into your newly created account Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android. Place a pre-game Moneyline wager of at least $10 on any MLB team to win at standard odds price. Then you will receive $100 in bonus bets instantly. If you sign up in Massachusetts or Ohio, you will receive $200 in bonus bets. Just remember to use the bonus code SPICYMLB. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. 